Hello, Headspace Invaders. It's just David here today, and no Adam, unfortunately, because this is kind of a rather special little kind of mini side special episode. Um, we didn't get to ch- get a chance last week to record, and obviously with everything that's going on, it's been quite busy, but we thought we'd release something. So um, this is what it is, and I'm just doing the intro for it. So um this is basically the best of the movies I love that are shit. Or maybe not the best of, but the earliest ones um, that I could find. And uh, some of these go back to seven years ago. We've been doing this thing for seven years, which is nuts. But um, yeah, the first one's took back in 2013. And it, we still, in that one, we still have the, the sound effects from the Star Trek bridge underlaid on our uh, episodes. Highly annoying. I can't believe we thought that was cool at all, but it is what it is. So um, basically what you're going to get is a little snapshot of, of uh, Headspace throughout the uh, years um, through the eyes of the Miltas, the movies I love that are shit. So um, it's kind of like when you used to watch your favorite show on TV and uh, one week they'd get to one where it, you'd quickly find out they were just doing flashbacks um, throughout the episode and you it always piss you off. This is kind of like that. So you're welcome. Um so I won't tell you which uh, movies uh, um, that we do, which Miltasses we do, so you can play along. Uh, you can be like Adam usually is, in the dark, until uh, you get it. Um, and um, I will tell you there's five, and um, I hope you enjoy it. So uh, we will have a new episode out this Friday, but um, up until uh, you get to hear that one, um, this is what we got, and I hope you all enjoy. Thanks for listening, as always, and uh, good luck. But um, that kind of takes us to a kind of a different segment that we're going to do. We're going to try and do this once a week or once every other week, depending on how it works. And um, um, it's what I'm calling uh, movies I love that were shit. So that's pretty much what we're going to call this segment. All right. And I have no idea what movie you're about to lay on. Right. So basically what I'm going to do is talk about a movie that I really like that was really shit. That generally people thought, oh, that was a really shit movie. Okay. Either whether it was you know, just panned critically or it was just a shit movie that for whatever reason I saw on that day and I really liked. liked it. Okay. And I continue to like. Okay. Um, and this is a film I saw when I was really, really young. It was actually in a, when I was a little kid back home. It was actually a double bill. We went to see The Aristocrats in the movie theater and we didn't get in with my family. <laughs> so instead, we, we <laughs> okay. my dad took us to the local cinema uh, outside where we lived and uh, we saw a movie called The Shape of Things to Come. And this film was a double bill. And this film is Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh. Right. <laughs> they, that was actually in the theater. It was in the movie theater. Wow. So I, don't, I don't know that they ever, um, that that was ever in the... Th- Man, we loved our Roger Corman over there, oh, I guess. Oh, boy. Battle Beyond the Stars, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen it recently? Um, I have seen it recently. Because it, it was on Netflix for a minute. Yeah, it's still on there. It's still on there, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's still on Instant Play. Yeah. You know, 
it's it, for me it's it's transcended you okay know? so how how old were you just oh God, like I don't know. just roughly like between the Eight, ages of seven okay all right all right maybe that's y- young yeah okay um, and i still remember you know um right. but uh, so but, star wars is fresh in your brain right probably empire maybe hey, that summer star wars was fresh in everybody's brain and that's why films like this got fucking right, made right Battlestar galactica because Everyone wanted to cash in on that. Right. And Roger Corman being the Mr. Exploitation, I mean, he wasn't going to be left behind. Sure. And he cashed in on this. And this was actually the highest budget he'd ever had for him. It was like $2 million he made it for. Um, and he went to town on this. So, um, and it made a bunch of money. And it continues to make money. How? How? Is it making money? That's what I want to know. No, okay, it's but, great. Okay. Um, but Battle Beyond the Stars, um, based on The Magnificent Seven, which was then, of course, which was obviously, of course, based on um, Akira Kurosawa's Seven, Seven Samurai. Samurai. Right. So, cool thing about Roger Corman, he's a smart fucker. Um, he took a great story and then put it in space. Sure. That's what he did. Yeah. Um, also smart because he got, he had people working for him like uh, James Cameron, uh, Gail Ann Hurd, who actually met in that film and, and then, of course, married and then went on to make The Terminator and right, yeah. um, The Abyss and Aliens together, you know, before they broke up. Um, but they, they, Cameron created a lot of the scenes and a lot of the special effects. Okay, well, first of all, before uh, we get too further, for people who may not know, briefly summarize the plot of the okay. movie. It's about, well, it's, if you've seen The Magnificent Seven, you've kind of seen Battle Beyond the Stars. It's right. about these, uh, this malevolent force who was actually uh, the, the bad guy, Sador, is played by John Saxon, who was, uh, was also in films like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. He would play Nancy's father. Uh, or Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, underused actor, I thought. I was, sure, he was yeah, really yeah, cool, yeah. man. He, yeah. he could play cool, he could play a good guy, and he could also play bad guy, a la Battle Beyond the Stars. So he plays Sador of uh, the Malmori. They showed up at this planet. And they're okay. like a totalitarian they regime. Are they just like, kind of take know, over. They're like the Empire. And right. they're going to take over, and they're going to take over this planet, and like you're on there, but we're taking it over. You're going to be our slaves. Right. So what they do is, um, the people on this planet, and the planet's called Akir, which is obviously a direct nod to Akira Kurosawa. Right. Um, they send this one guy out, who is actually Richard Thomas, and his name is Shad in the movie. And Richard Thomas is John, John Boy Walton. Right? Yeah. That's who well, I knew him from. And I, when I saw the show too, I was like, that's John That's John Boy, Boy Walton, yeah. That's weird. Yeah. And I, I, I think it, even to, me, to my small mind, I was like, that's almost lost some credibility now because sure. it's John Boy. I can't take him seriously. He's not yeah, really le- he's not a leading man. He's no Harrison Ford or Mark Hamill, you know? But that's what they were going for. Right. So they send him out to the stars to kind of create, you know, to gather we need help. some kind of go get, force go help us, yeah. to help us against the Mamori. You sure. Know? And, and he goes about recruiting people, just like the Magnificent Seven. Right. And he recruits some interesting people. Uh, he recruits Robert Vaughn. Yep, Robert Vaughn. Uh, whose name in the film was Gelt, um, which was modeled directly after Lee, because he, he was actually in The Magnificent Seven. Right. So this, so basically Robert Vaughn plays himself from The Magnificent Seven in Battle Beyond the Stars. Right, yeah. They lifted some dialogue from The Magnificent Seven and put it in Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, couldn't be more blatant than that. Sure, yeah. Robert Vaughn's in it. Uh, John Saxon, like I said, was in it as Sador. Uh, he had George Pappard was in it. Yes, he was. I mean, and you know, George yeah. Pappard, and I believe that most of the, the, the budget went on paying Robert Vaughn and George Pappard, you know, because they demanded like X amount, amount of salary, you know. Right. Um, uh, but George Pappard was, <laughs> his name was Cowboy in it. Oh, yeah. Of course he was Cowboy. Of course. He drank yeah. whiskey. He watched old movies. Yeah. In his little spaceship. Which was like a, like a, tractor trailer like like it was a, like, like a tractor trailer yeah. um uh he was actually 
um, moving munitions from one place to another right. to a different planet the Sador destroyed. So he had all these, you know, this load then that didn't need to get delivered. So he del- ended up delivering it to right. Akir so they could use to fight the Mamori. But, uh, you know, he had a cowboy hat. And he, when he communicated, it was a CB radio. Yeah, it was. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he was from Earth, though. He was from Earth. And it was funny because he was like, oh, I'm from a place called Earth. And that no one knew who, where the fuck right, Earth yeah, was. No so we were like, oh, we live on Earth when we were little kids, whatever. But um, so Roger Corman production, they had the coolest um, uh, big weapon in this. It wasn't a Death Star. It was called a Stellar Converter. And basically what it did was it turned your planet into a sun. So it didn't destroy your planet. It just turned it into a sun. Right. Which is kind of bizarre. I mean, physically. I mean... You're, we're not going to destroy it. We're going to turn it into a sun. I mean, obviously, and if you stick around, you're going to be sure, sun yeah. people. Um, but uh, yeah, st- but but stellar converter. Oh, what, what what would that do? Would that convert us to a sun? Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, really basic. But but like I said, it had some brilliant people working on this. Like because that's what Roger Corman did. He surrounded himself with these brilliant people. He became, you know, mega stars in the movie industry. Like Cameron, like Galen Hurd, and um, James Horm- Horner. It was the first film he ever scored. Yeah. Um. Uh, and you know, obviously, as I said earlier on, it was it was so Corman could cash in on Star Wars, you know. And he ended up selling, reselling the stock footage that he used to multiple different B movies. Oh yeah, from for, for sure. years later. I mean, that yeah, guy almost, I remember seeing the scenes in the, in the yeah. spaceship that he uh, made a bunch of money from. This yeah, film. yeah. And he would always see him like, and even sound effects and things like Battle Battlestar Galactica. Like, oh, that wasn't that in Battle Beyond the Stars? But it was because they this this was the one that they all kind of ripped off in a way. Right. After you know he ripped off. It was a lot cheaper to buy it from Battle Beyond the Stars than it was. To, <laughs> yeah. Right. But um the and the fellow who wrote it was John Sales. He wrote this diamond of a film. John Sales who also wrote uh, The Howling, Eight Men Out, uh, Clown the Cave Bear. <laughs> what a terrible film that was. Uh, the Secret of Rowan Inish. Uh, Irish and shit. Uh, Piranha and but he also wrote, he wrote wrote and directed Lone Star too, which yeah. got nominated for Academy, for some Academy Awards. So, um, probably best known for uh, uh, the brother from another planet. Have you ever seen that? Oh yeah, John Sales yeah, wrote that too. Yeah. So, um, uh, but one of the weirdest things um, about this film that I found out was that the director was a guy called uh, Jimmy T. Uh, Murakami. And he wasn't, he didn't really make an awful lot of films after this. Um, not live action, but he made some animated films. Okay. He directed The Snowman. Have you ever seen that? A Christmas Day? I have. I grew up watching this film. Okay. Uh, it was a. Uh, Wait, was it Frosty the Snowman? No, okay. it's just All called right. The Snowman. Right. And it's, it's available, it's out there on Netflix, and it's out there on DVD. And, and I, I tend to watch it every year on Christmas time. Huh. It's called The Snowman. It's about, it's a, it's a silent cartoon. Okay. It's about half an hour long. Um, it's got uh, narration by David Bowie. It's got um, a, it's about a boy and a snowman. He flies off to visit Santa Claus. And oh, it's yeah, got this song. It's a very Christmassy song for me called "Walking in the Air" by a little dude called Alan Jones. But anyway, this dude, this Jimmy T guy, he directed the Snowman like three years after he directed "About Me on the Stars." Well, what else was he going to do? Yeah. And then he made uh, um, "When the Wind Blows." Oh yeah. In like '86. Sure. And uh, that was with Sir John Mills and Dame Peggy Ashcroft, and which was also nominated for uh, Best Animated Film, I think, in the camera, which was a very dark, bleak take on, um, you know, people growing older and not understanding the world and then nuclear war. Right. And, it, I mean, if you've oh, yeah. never seen it's oh, a no, heartbreaking it little film. It really is. So he went from making Battle Beyond the Stars with Nell the Talking Computer Ship and John Boy Walton to making When the Wind Blows, a cartoon about nuclear war and the 
you know, why we shouldn't Very blow each other up. Stuff, yeah. So, man, I mean, you, you talk about your career taking different directions. And I think that's probably one of the last things he's made. He made some other Christmas film, but I mean, he's nothing else of real note. Since but, um, you know, Bal Beyond the Stars, man. Um, like I said, it's movie. It's a movie that I love, but that is it's shit. It's kind of shit. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty it's shit. It's kind of shit. But it's a great film. Yeah. I recommend if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Sure. Let's move on. All right, moving on. All right, so this is the final segment of our show, kind of. We're coming towards the end of it, and then we're going to end like we usually do with uh, with this particular thing, which is uh, movies that are shit that I love. Right. Um, now, if you've been listening before, you're obviously aware of what this is. This is a film that generally is panned, or most people think is awful, but I actually really, really like yeah, it. Yeah, no, I lot. can't wait. Um, For whatever reason. So, and then, oh, I always get excited because Davey doesn't yeah. tell me what these are. So. It's our little secret. Um, so Adam has no idea. So this week, um, it is uh, might be surprising. It's not science fiction or fantasy. It's, uh, it's a buddy movie. Okay. Specifically a cop buddy movie. Uh, starring Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell in Tango oh, and Cash. Tango and Cash. Now, earlier on you said, are you sure I would have seen this right. film? And obviously everyone in the world has seen Tango and Cash. Yes. Um, I, this is, the dialogue's bad oh, yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, this it, guy broke my leg, <laughs> my neck, and my jaw. You broke that jaw? I, yeah. Honestly, though, I think that Stallone just looks so bad in this film. He's just because he's trying to keep up with Kurt Russell, who's Kurt Russell's great in comedy. He's just a great actor. He's oh, one of yeah. my favorite no, actors of all time. Yeah, solid he's comedic actor. Great comedy. He's great in action. He's great series. He's just a great actor. You know, uh, Oscar nominated actor too for Elvis. So Stallone can't compete with Kurt Russell in my mind or uh, the majority of any regular thinking person. True. Yeah, but he was also Stallone was trying to play like a straight man with like a suit and glasses and yeah. he just wasn't buying it. Right. No, I mean, he was supposed to be super smart Wall Street ger- right. Wall Street kind of cop guy. Yeah. But anyway, Tango and Cash uh, with Kurt Russell and, uh, and Sylvester Stallone. Um, I think this, as I said, Kurt Russell kind of transcended this movie for me. Uh, really made Stallone look awful. And he had some great, great lines like, oh, yeah, like the did. shower when they're in the shower in the prison, or or he bends down and so, "What are you doing?" And Kurt Russell goes, "Relax, just the soap, and don't flatter yourself." <laughs> so it was it was cool because he was really poking fun at, at uh, um, uh, Stallone, and I just loved that. And then when when he punched out the guy who was doing the martial arts, and he goes, "I hate you, karate guys." Yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, that's classic, classic. Yeah, you lines. know, this film gets referenced a lot in pop, pop culture. Yeah. I mean, I everywhere. Other movies, like The Simpsons, TV shows. Yeah. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, and then Kurt Russell was in Drag in this film, too. I mean, yes, he was. I've got a man crush on him, so that was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> when he gets on the back of the, mo- the Terry Hatcher's motorcycle, yeah. who's Sylvester Stallone's sister in the film. Right. And then they had the whole thing, ongoing thing. Did you sleep my sister? Did you sleep my sister? I don't know. I was so drunk. And all I'm going to do now is repeat lines in the movie. It's right. not it's what that this easy is about. To, yeah, it's easy to do. <laughs> but, you know... They had Jack Palance was the bad guy in this film, one of the greatest bad guys ever in movie history. Yeah. And Jack Palance was the bad guy, and he was sufficiently Jack Palancey, chewing up the scenery, and very creepy. You know, still quite intimidating as an older guy. Um, everyone, of course, has that image of him doing one-handed push-ups when he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor uh, for uh, that Billy Crystal film. What was that? Um, the one where they became cowboys. Oh man. Anyway, you can find yeah. that out. Sure. <laughs> Whatever yeah. that film was called. But uh, also, there's a couple of other notable actors in it. Um, uh, Brian James was in it, who was best known in uh, 
in his role in Blade Runner as the first replicant that oh, right. shot yeah. the guy at the start. Yeah. And he was in it and he had a really bad when I first saw it I was like, Is this is that an Australian accent? But I guess he was trying to do cockney. Oh yeah. Such yeah, a bad really accent. bad, that's right. Just yeah. a terrible and he had a ponytail uh, and a terrible, terrible cockney Australian accent that just didn't seem to make sense. Right. Really bad. Um, but and then the Robert Czar was in it as well, who was the the kind of um, the 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 bad guy in the prison with the huge chin. Oh, this huge jaw, yeah. The huge, huge chin. Like was the he the guy driving chin. the the the, um, the the tractor trailer pulling the cocaine? With no, that he, Stallone shoots at. He doesn't. He, no, he was just in the prison. He was the guy who was going to bump him off. I'm prison. pretty sure the guy with the big chin was the one that came through the windshield in the tractor trailer. Was that at the end of the film? No, it was at the, it was the very beginning when oh, they're establishing yeah. the right. scene. It was. That's exactly yeah. right. And that's why and that's he wanted he says, to get them. He broke my leg, my nose, and my jaw. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's a, and how? Could, what a jaw. Anyway, but he, I mean, he looked like he had body modification done on his face oh, yeah. with that chin. I mean, did he go in there and he? Oh, did he go in there because it looked like an arse, a huge arse it, on oh, his it's face? It was a giant butt chin. So did he go in and go? Oh, I need a, I need, I need an arse implant. And then they made a mistake and stuck it on the bottom of his face. And he just liked it so much that he had to keep it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, does he call it something? I bet he must have called he it something. Have he had to have a name, name yeah. for it. Yeah. But Robert Zarr was is an interesting actor because he wasn't in an awful lot of things. But he was also in Maniac Cop, the Maniac Cop trilogy of movies. That's that kind of slasher film, right. which is underrated, I thought. I actually really like that, those three movies. Specifically the first one. Um, but uh, So you haven't seen Maniac Cop, check it out. Uh, Terry Hatcher, as I said, was in it, and then of course um, Clint Howard was in it, who makes his appearance. Oh yeah, uh, not a Ron Howard directed film, <laughs> but so how was, did he get that job? <laughs> great question. But he was the guy. He was in Stallone's uh, prison cell. He wrapped up in a slinky. Right. When he threw the slinky through his uh, his newspaper, and he got so pissed off, he wrapped him in a slinky. Uh, so Clint Howard, who for me, uh, my favorite ever Clint Howard uh, 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 appearance was in. Uh, an early original Star Trek episode where he was um, uh, it was the um, the Corbinite maneuver he was I got pulled it out of my arse there that was good the, the Corbinite maneuver he was the uh, the with the, the, the fake alien head sure uh, which became very famous because it was always at the end of that episode that you know when the credits were rolling it's on the fake alien right. circular head uh, and it turned out that it was just this kind of uh, small alien uh, who offered Kirk the Tranya? Would you like some Tranya? That kind of orange drink that I really wanted to drink. <laughs> so that's my favorite Clint Howard, uh, which is an offshoot of obviously Tangled Cash and many other films. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was that little alien who offered them Tranya in the Star Trek film, uh, Star Trek original series. If you're, if anyone's ever watched that one. But yeah, I remember watching this years and years ago, in an old movie theater called the Carlton in Dublin, um, uh, which is closed down now sadly. But uh, yeah, Tangled Cash is is definitely. Goes uh, adds on to my movies. Yeah, earlier when you said, oh, this is on the TV a lot. This is, uh, you know, it's on TV quite a bit. That's how I remember watching it was like on TNT or something. Yeah. I don't, I know I didn't see it. It's probably it the on theater, today. Yeah, it probably is right now. Oh, also, he they used that, that phrase foobar in it. They sure did. Which is fucked up beyond all recognition. All recognition, yeah. And I actually at the time was so impressed by the film and Kurt Russell that I tried to wedge that into my own vernacular somehow. All the time. So I would say it random times. Oh, that's foobar. Well, and then the person I said to wouldn't know what the fuck I was talking about. Well, what do you mean? You know, fucked up beyond all recognition. Like I was cool. Right, right. And they'd be like, Did it ever catch on? No. Oh, and they'd be all like, 
yeah, it's probably FUBAR that you just said FUBAR. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, so that's it. That's, um, that's, that's the, uh, the movies that I loved that are shit for, for this particular time. It's Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. What year did that Cash. come out of? Just curious. I think it was 89, I think. Uh, very late 80s, I think, or early, uh, early 1990s. Uh, great, great film. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have time for you guys today. Um, we sorry that we ran a little bit longer than we wanted to. Um, We're always up against it when we do this. Yeah, we are. No, we just like to talk too much. That's the problem. Yeah. That's not really a problem. <laughs> well, yeah. But that uh, movies that are shit that I love. Um, classic. I've got a classic today. Yeah, I think you've had this one in the vault for a while, haven't you? Yeah, I think when I, when I first started thinking about this list, I thought, you know, just write down the first ones that came to my head. I think this was the second one that came to my head. So I kind of kept this one back. Um, I went to see... I got brought to see this film when I was a kid. Um, and I remember... It was funny in a way because my dad, I remember my dad complaining that it costs, because I have four siblings, so it was five of us kids. Right. It costs so much to take his kids to say, hey, he can't afford it. And it's weird because he was talking to the usherette guy who was showing us the receipts, and he ended up giving us free passes to go back to see another film because he was like, God, you have a lot of kids or whatever. Yeah. So he kind of felt sorry for him. So, um, and actually, we used those free passes to go to see. Uh, double bill of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back oh nice hey so that paid off later. it was great yeah, yeah so yeah. but we went to see this film which also was remarked upon like I remember the, the light must have been bad in the cinema, but it was like you couldn't see what was going on in this film and when we went to see it in the cinema you're like well, what like what is happening right now and it's just, it was so dark and perfect really because this film is the black hole right so literally it was like we were in a black hole trying to watch this film um, 1979 is when it came out. Um, Disney's first ever PG film. Yeah, that's amazing to me. Every other film before then was G-rated, aside from this one, which obviously was because of the themes in it. Sure. Some death and then some some swear words like hell and damn and stuff like that. So, I guess they uh, they yeah very first PG-rated movie that Disney released, um, directed by Gary Nelson, who directed not much after this. Um, it was the high. It was the most expensive film ever made at the time, like twenty. Wow, really? Six million or twenty-seven million dollars is how much it cost back then. Um, and obviously, once again, this was one of these films that they, um, they uh, Star Wars had come out. So hey, what do we do? Well, we have to have a solution to 20th Century Fox. Let's release a space science fiction film that we we can one merchandise the shit out of, which they did. Oh yeah. They had little action figures for I this film. I had the bed sheets. You did? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, bed sheets, obviously, uh, action figures, lunch boxes, uh, everything black hole connected. The only problem was the film wasn't very good. Right. Um, but to my young, fertile mind, which was science fiction craved, this was great. You right. You could suck up anything that you could. Yeah. yeah. And it was it's still great. You know, I remember, you know, a bunch of clips on TV before it came out. There's a big hoopla about it, the black hole. You got to see the black hole. And, of course, you know, we got to see it. It was great. But, um, you know, I, I won't go too much into the story. Some guys are exploring through deep space and this ship called the Palomino. And they find this old ship called the Cygnus that's lost years ago um, sitting on the edge of this black hole. And somehow it's not stabilized. They go on. They find this, the, the uh, Maximum and Snell is chewing the shit out of the scenery um, as the uh, evil, uh, um, what's his name, evil Dr. Reinhardt. Um, he's got there's robots in it like they have the good robots Vincent which 
Um, they really stretch oh, man, the a, use of acronyms oh, yeah. with, the, with Vincent. Vincent, I guess, is Vital Information Necessary Centralized. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, he should have been Vin, but the centralized is the center part. And then Bob is a biomechanical battalion or something. I mean, oh, okay, just yeah. they really stretch right, the sure, acronyms yeah. quite, tire, quite thinly. But Maximilian the robot, though, was fucking cool. And he was scary looking. He was. He had those weird propellers on, his, on the end of his arms. They would the blades, yeah. yeah, just burrow through people. So, um, I don't know. It was just it was really good, high concept though. Towards the end, where they went through the black hole, and it looked like that Maximilian Snell was crushed, and then as they were going through the black hole, Maximilian Snell somehow merges with Maximilian robot and finds himself inside the robot yeah. that he created in this kind of hellscape. hellscape. Yeah, it was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you're like, what is going on? I mean, kind of 2010-esque, I guess. They just kind of... I always think when people do that, they don't really know how to end the fucking film. No. They don't know how to end it. They've made this, this whole build-up, and then they just kind of dropped it. Yeah. And they said, well, let's just make this mishmash of images and just let people figure it out for themselves. But they popped out of a white hole, from the black hole to the white hole, to into a new galaxy or universe in, in the small, tiny ship that... In, they escaped from right. the Cygnus on and uh, yeah it had Ernest Borgnine in it oh yeah it had Anthony Perkins Roddy McDowell was the voice of Vincent um, you know your John Barry does, the score is actually really good it's kind of depressingly dark kind of morbid it goes I mean it's uh, like a real de- depressing waltz kind of thing but um, overall though terrible film oh my god it was so bad but i loved it 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 reminded it seemed to me like just watching it recently that disney had made this film in the late 60s yeah you know early 70s and just kind of held on to it and they're like we're just gonna hold on to this one and then when star wars came out they're like oh fuck it just throw it out there just just put it up we gotta get it out yeah yeah i mean the it was just the pacing was really slow super slow and you know the whole like floating it, it, and they they did there was so much wire work you know yeah. to make them look like they're in you know zero gravity and they're doing the spin yeah. thing oh it's just and then this so look we, look what music. we can do with wires yeah, you know least, yeah. everybody's showing off i guess they tried to get industrial light and magic to to um um help them with the effects the visual effects and they it was too expensive so disney just built their own stuff wow which um and they you know they did some revolutionary stuff in this like the matte filming i guess was revolutionary and um, which is good, you know. They, you know, they created some some cool technology to for other filmmakers to use because you, of this film. You know, they're rebooting it or remaking it. I did. I just found that out. They're yeah. going to remake it, which is great. Yeah, uh, Joe Kaczynski, I guess, is the uh, he's he's writing it and directing it. But he's right now he's um, I don't know if he's writing it, but he's having it written. Um, that and Tron Three at the same time, he's going to direct both of those movies at the same time. Yeah, I think so. How does that yeah, work? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I. I whoever whichever script gets in his hand first maybe i, I don't know but they uh he was asked if it was going to be a reboot or a remake and he was like i guess a reboot because the concept's the same but they're going to take it in their own direction i mean i i could see that and it's still disney i mean it's disney property so disney's you know having it made so i could see it. it's you know science fiction space black holes yeah i probably will hopefully have a real ending and not some kind of metaphysical and i think over the past bunch of like nonsense. 40 years you know the past what 30 years that the knowledge of black holes i guess like we've you know yeah. we've gained so much more information it's not just this whirlpool in space you know like right. as it was kind of built then um so yeah it could be um, I, it, 
I'll go watch it. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, me too. And you know, it's it found a home. You know, it's a bit of a cult film, I guess. Um, I like I, I loved it. How do you? But uh, it was terrible. Do you know how it did? Like in the theater, do you know how much money it made? Like when it came out, do I you think know, it, did it made a reasonable amount of money. Um, it made more than they. I mean, it's. Uh, I guess it took thirty six million at the North American box office, making it the twenty first highest grossing film in nineteen seventy nine. So it cost twenty six or so, and they made thirty six in the U.S. I'm sure it made enough money overseas then yeah. too to, you know, to recoup. And then the merchandise and stuff. And we still we still all bought that crap. You I'm know? Sure. Oh yeah. We still bought those little dolls. But uh, it received two Academy Award nominations. Get out of here! Really? Visual effects and cinematography. Huh. I wonder what it lost to. I'd be curious to look up. Yeah. So hmm. there you go. Yeah. The black hole. The black hole. I'm. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Disney's on fire with the property right now, man. I mean, they're just. The black hole, uh, Tron, yeah, the, the Star Wars, Marvel. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a nerd paradise. Yeah. You know, the D twenty three is going on right now, and it's yeah. hopefully by the end of the weekend, maybe we'll have some footage that's actually released for like Guardians and Avengers. And yeah, I did. I saw that. I, I guess I read that they they showed the same stuff that they had at Comic Con. Yeah, recently. So I just want to see that stuff anyway. Yeah, it hasn't hit the internet yet though. Not as far as I've seen anyway. Me neither. So yeah, that's it. The black hole. We'll, we'll, we'll close the chapter on that one. Yeah. Movies that are shit that I love. That we. Do, it's kind of endearing. It's an endearing movie. Yeah. yeah. So let's um, wrap this up. So uh, thanks again for listening. It yeah. was great. And um, uh, follow us on uh, Twitter. Right. So now we're onto the the part of the show where we do. Uh, I do movies that I love that are shit. So we got another one, but we're changing it up a little bit this week. Um, this is actually kind of an amendment to a previous episode of, I did where we had a movie that I love that are shit, which was The Sword and the Sorcerer. Still a great film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But I, I believe during that particular um, segment, I promised I would see the follow-up to Sword and Sorcerer, which was made in 2010. Same director, um, Albert Puyen, who did some a wealth of uh, films, question mark. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, in his past but he finally it took him 30 years but he finally got to make the, the part 2 he promised at the end of Sword and Sorcerer um, a continued adventure to town but it's not really continued adventure anyone anyway, gets it so I promised I'd watch Abelard Tales of an Ancient Empire because it was on Netflix instant viewing and I've watched it and I've watched it since so instead of being a movies that I love that are shit I'm going to table this as being a movies that I love that are shit part follow up part 2 Movies that are shit that are shit. <laughs> if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Um, so you'll prob- I just gave you a sneak preview into how I felt about this film. It was absolutely awful. Um, so just you know, podcasters, listeners, the things that I do... You suffered. I'm telling you, I, I, I was less intelligent after watching this film. You, think of all the things you could have done with yeah. the 90 minutes. That Anything. I, watch paint dry. You know, stared at a blank wall. You know, anything, you know, would have been better than sitting through this absolute nonsense. Okay. Well, why was it so bad? Okay. Where do I begin? Well, first of all, um, there was an awful lot of production companies popped up at the start. So, like, multitudes, um, which kind of stinks of people who have too much money and overseas money, possibly. And also, to me, the fact that it's going to be shit. You know, if it's got more than two or three production companies involved, there's too many people. They're obviously looking for money from everywhere because they're desperate to get this film going. So we had we had Underhill Entertainment, NECA Films, Kernan Pictures, Sound Logic Studios, SLC Associates Inc., 
uh, Sazi Calhoun. I think that's just a person who probably gave him like a tenner. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, hey, yeah. you're gonna make. Some, I've got ten pounds. All right, we're putting Sazi Calhoun in the no, title. Just use his house. Yeah, Sazi Calhoun, uh, D3 Telefilm. So that initially just gave me a kind of a. I was going, oh god, this is going to be bad. But you know, I persevered. Um, it's got uh, Kevin Sorbo in it. Um, you know, Hercules. The event that was great. It was a good show years ago. Um, you know, it was okay. Oh, it was Sam okay. Raimi okay, okay, okay. was involved. It was right. kind of funny. It had its own thing. Xena Warrior, you know, Xena came from it too, which is kind of funny too. I mean, sure. it had its time and its place, you know. TNT, late night, great. Um, he hasn't done much since, poor Kevin Sorbo. He was on King Khan, which uh, King Khan, or Khan's a kind of a Conan from the Conan world, and they, he made that film, which was terrible, with uh, Tia Carone or whatever her name is, um, Tia Carrera. Anyway, I'm, I, I digress. Uh, Kevin Sorbo, Sorbo's in it, Michael Parry's in it, directed again by Albert Poyan, as I said. I mean, first of all, the, the, there was a narrator at the start, and her name was Takate, and I was like, "Oh my, like, is this some kind of product placement here?" Like, her name, the name of the, and she continued to say, referenced their name was Takate. So, is he getting money from there? And I'm like, "Man, probably not, because they're not going to associate themselves with something that this is bad." The whole first fifteen minutes were filmed like on a blank soundstage, basically just had a backdrop of cartoon drawings on it. It was almost like when they made this, like, okay, this doesn't make sense when they, they had it all and they were trying to edit it together. So they thought, well, let's let's refilm like 15 minutes and put Michael Parry in it. We'll get him and a couple of dudes. Literally looked like they were just, they just wandered in off the street and someone just kind of shoved a plastic sword in their hand just they'd stand there behind them with, with this green stream backdrop, which then they just showed cartoons, kind of, not cartoon, like drawings on. And it it was just so weird. It was like, what what am I watching? And how did this get made? Just watch the first ten minutes, and you, it, it, it'll explain itself. It's just so so bad that the acting is not even porn quality acting. I mean, it's worse than that. So, so that and I was like, I, I, this can't be real. This can't be. <laughs> Why am I watching this? But I stuck through it. Um, the Lee Horsley was the original talent in in Sword and the Sorcerer. What else was Lee Horsley in? He actually made some stuff after that, and I didn't realize that until I watched this film. Because I go about halfway through, I was like, "That guy looks kind of familiar with the mustache." He was this stranger in a bar. He kind of come and they built it up in the film. He kind of comes in. He's like, "Oh, la la," la and then he kind of goes out. And, he, and I go, "Well, that's obviously a, a spo- supposed to be a moment I'm supposed to recognize." Right. Well, I went back and looked at it. He was the original talent. Lee Horsley uh. was also. Uh, um, he was Matt Houston in a very short-lived TV show where he was a private detective kind of like I guess it was going up against Magnum PI but he was Matt Houston in Texas okay um, and that lasted for a season you know it's a regular NBC or whatever TV show uh, but he was a cameo as a stranger so they actually pulled him in there but I'm sure he thought I gotta get the fuck out of here because this is not gonna do me any good uh, I mean it was disjointed uh, the story was all over the place I felt sick sitting through it uh, towards the end they so they built this whole thing up and it was all about Talon's kids, basically. And they built it up that they're all coming together. And there was undertones of incest. Um, and all the way through, like Kevin Storbo was in it with these women. And they're building up towards this big fight. And and then they don't even have the big fight. Oh, come they on. They then, st- like 10 minutes to go or whatever, they then switch to the narrator again, who's this Takate chick. And they talk about, she talks us through the fight that they had with the evil vampire witch queen. 
she just she talks us through it and Why they they show they show some more like drawings of the guy Kevin Sorbo's character kind of shoving a like a drawing of him shoving a sword through the vampire queen's face and then the narrator goes and little did we know that the one character we thought wouldn't have been able to win the victory for us did Kevin Sorbo's character right. and that was the end of the film I mean it's like they ran out of money or Kevin Sorbo goes Listen, I know um, I'm Kevin Sorbo, but, but seriously, wow. I yeah. can't be in this yeah. anymore. I'm, I'm out I've of been here. watching the dailies. And yeah, so is... I'm, I'm out of here. This is terrible. It, I um, mean, it, it's like, you know how the Science Fiction Channel has those really shit films on sometimes, uh, like uh, Sharknado, for example. Yeah. Um, this makes Sharknado look like Citizen Kane. Wow. Like, this won't make the Science Fiction, you know, uh, shit movie hour. Right. It, it's, it's, that, it's that bad. I, I, I want to encourage everybody to watch it. But I don't want anyone to be, to you know, to lose some of their IQ while they're doing it. Does that make sense? Sure. So I guess I watched it for you. You can thank me. So you can. Yeah. So next time you see me, buy me a beer because seriously, you owe me one. Um. So I after, we, after you told me that you watched this movie, I was like, well, I'm not gonna watch it. But I did go on IMDb. Just I wanted to see like who else is in it. You know, right. just find some information. This is how bad it is. You know, when you go on IMDb, like to look up a movie, you're just like trying to figure out who's in it. And so yeah. you get lost in, like, the other information they have on the page. And yeah. so there's, like, the trivia. And there's usually, like, 50 bits of trivia about, yeah. you know, like, things that happen on set and this, that, and the other. This movie, no trivia. <laughs> like, like they're trying to find – IMDb was trying really hard to fill this page out with information. Right. You know, like, there's, like, technical specs and, like, what it was filmed on or whatever. Yeah. Um, the estimated budget – was a million dollars? Oh my god! So, which Someone's which made, made you oh lead god. you to believe like what did they do with the other nine hundred thousand nine hundred? You know, um, the, and one thing I think is funny too is at the bottom of the of the IMDb, it's like you know you're looking at this movie. Here's some other movies you might enjoy. So, so I'm like, oh well, let me look at these movies. But first, let me just give you like a here's like a little litmus test, just so you have an idea. The, the IMDb kind of knows what they're doing. So I, I track back and pick a pick a movie out of my head. Godfather. So I look at Godfather. And I scroll down, and it's like, here's some other movies you might enjoy. So, the, you know, Godfather 2, okay. Goodfellas, yeah. great movie. Yeah. Scarface, great movie. Yeah, great. Heat, great movie. Carlito's Way, Miller's Crossing, Leon the Professional, Blood Simple, Sleepers, Fargo. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. you know who, like, yeah. you, IMDb knows who's looking at Godfather and what movies they want to watch. Right. So I did the same thing with this one. Uh, this is the movies that they said you might like. Um, Spitfire, no fucking clue. Oh, um, Indiana Jones, n- The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, none of the other ones, by the way. <laughs> Uh, Ironclad George Lucas and Steven Spielberg should be ashamed of yourself right. um, Sword and Sorcerer uh, DOA Dead or Alive um, Deathstalker 4 oh not 1, 2, or 3 nope, 4 nope. specifically and, um, well that was an Albert Pine film too so that's well, why they put it in there Librarian The Curse of the Judas Chalice I've seen that yeah that's um, a TNT film yeah no that should, that, that's not bad <laughs> that's not that bad I mean that was not great but and uh, with Noah Wiley, what the fuck his name is? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, well, you can't. That's not. That's not fair. Maybe Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. You should be ashamed. And I just think the best on that film, that particular film, uh, the best kind of review of that film is that South Park episode where they kept on saying, "You're raping me." Yeah. They raped Indiana Jones. They totally did in that film. But yeah. Anyway, Abelard, Tales of an Ancient Empire. If I could get a T-shirt with that on it, I would probably wear it. Really? Just because. Like as a warning to others? Yeah. yeah. Like, do not watch. Right. Um, yeah, don't ever watch it. I've watched it for you, everybody. No one else Yeah, that'd be a good it. public service. And just start wearing t-shirts of shit movies and just you know, put, like, like a we no need that, that, smoking thing. Yeah, out. and that, 
the, that film needs to be put in a, in a blank wooden box, stamped with top secret and filed away in that particular warehouse where we have top men working on it as of the Raiders of the Lost Ark because it's dangerous. Or maybe go the altruistic route of KLF and just de- you know destroy all of it. Yeah. Just get rid of it. Yeah. Don't make it available for anybody. Just get rid of it. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah, that's an understatement. So that's it. That's uh, our movies that I... Movies that I hate that are shit. Movies that are shit that are shit. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> I suppose if we ever have to do another amendment, that's what we can name it. Movies that are shit that are shit that, that are I happen shit. to watch. Right. And felt ill after. Yeah. <laughs> that spiked. Oh, I'm sure it did. Ah! Sounds like you're just yelling, ah! Ah! I know everyone's singing. Oh man. Oh, I'm sure they were. Great. Yeah. Wow. What a song. But what a movie. Oh man. So you probably guessed we're going to do Flash Gordon. Um, 1980 film directed by. Mike Hodges, written by Lorenzo Sample. And the reason why we're going to do this one is because it's connected to these three guys, the Cornetto trilogy in this way. Yeah, um, Wright, Frost, and Peg. First of all, um, uh, Edgar Wright used, or basically kind of, his his uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World was an homage almost to Flash Gordon. The way he edited it and the way, he, the way the film looks had a lot to do with the way Flash Gordon looks. If you've seen this film, I hope you have. If not, you should see it. If you haven't, you've got to check it out, yeah. And also, Timothy Dalton's in this film. He was. And also in uh, Hot Fuzz. In, so, former James Bond, former, um, what was his name in, in Hot Fuzz? Um, Skinner. Yeah, Skinner, because he had the He's license. He's a slasher. Later. Yeah. And also former um, uh, Prince Baron in Flash Gordon. So, it just kind of made sense. And when Adam sent me the text, I was like, oh my God, of course. Yeah. That works. Because it is shit. But we do but, love it. Yeah, but is it shit, though? It's I mean, so shit. Uh, yeah. It's so shit, but it's great. Because it's shit. It's it's a kind of a magnanimous oh, shit. It is, absolutely, yeah. And we love this film. Um, um, I love it because, um, for multiple reasons, but um, I didn't get to see it in the cinema when I was a kid. Oh, really? Never got to go oh, see yeah. it. I think I saw it when I was like seven years old. Yeah. And it just, yeah. I had friends that went to see it, and then I was like, which happens a lot, <laughs> because we didn't have any money when I was growing up, so um, we didn't get to go see it, but which is a bummer, but um, I was really excited to hear their tale of how they'd seen it, oh, you sure. know? Um, but years ago, uh, they used to sell the original Buster Crab black and white cereal on the BBC every day during the summer holidays. So we, I was exposed to Flash Gordon you as, knew a, he was. as a child. Probably, that yeah. sounds weird. Um, but, you know, I was exposed to the original Buster Crab series, the cereal. Um, and, we, gosh, we love that, you know, because it was on every day. And, and then they made this film, and they made it kind of look similar, you know, just in Technicolor. Campy. Yeah, the just, ships still oh, look the yeah. same from the Buster Crab the costumes, cereal. costumes, yeah. 
I mean, they just did a really, really good job of making this really super campy, weird film that was bizarre in a way. Um, but as I said, directed by Mike Hodges, who made some cracking films before he made Gordon. Um, most notably, one of my favorite films of all time, actually, Get Carter. Now, that's not the Sylvester Stallone remake, right. which is shit. But the Michael, Michael Caine, Caine film, which is a, a really, really brilliant, gritty, rough and ready gangst, English gangster film. And um, to think that like Mike Hodges directed Get Carter and then directed Flash, Flash Gordon, Gordon makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, how does that even get connected? Oh, man. Um, if you haven't seen Michael Caine in, in Get Carter, I would recommend seeing it as soon as you possibly can. It's just a fucking great, great film. And probably for me, along with... His Harry Palmer stuff is definitely the strongest stuff that Michael Caine's ever done. And I've seen him in stuff lately where he just kind of picked up a paycheck like Jaws 4. He was in that revenge. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's, <laughs> what the fuck is he doing in there? Blaming on Rio. Awful. Right. But um, back in the day, Michael Caine was the fucking man, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but also, uh, Mike Hodges directed Damien Omen 2, which is another great film from yeah. our past. And, uh, and a, a film really close to my heart, which is Morons from Outer Space which starred uh, Mel Smith and Griffith Jones, which they were a comedy duo back um, in the day in the BBC. They really funny, and it's funny because Griffith Jones, or uh, Mel Smith, died recently, like a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, he was on revolutionary TV, comedy TV back home in, in, in Ireland and Britain, uh, called uh, Not the Nine O'Clock News with Rowan Atkinson and Griffith Jones. And then they, him and Griffith Jones became a comedy duo and had sketch shows and stuff. And you, that years to follow but sure. the first film they made was Morris from Outer Space the second film they made was called Wilt which is I recommend everyone saying it's very very funny anyway written by Lorenzo Sample there's a lot there's oh, a man, lot this, in this so film it was, it was yeah. perfect you know um, written by Lorenzo Sample who also wrote um, the original Batman movie in 1966 oh, right. and in multiple Batman episodes and that but see that makes sense it makes complete it makes sense. complete sense yeah you're, it's campy kind of former, you know, kind of heroic kind of figure and, you know, made it like what it was. Sure. I mean, you could... No, you could definitely see the There's a lot of parallels Absolutely, there. yeah. But Lorenzo Sample also wrote The Parallax View, which is a very downer of a 1970s film starring Warren Beatty about big government and government conspiracies and assassination. Very, I mean, and, and a nihilistic kind of film you know which in the 70s they made a lot of those yeah. and I think the last podcast we talked about Sonnet Running which is also a film made around the same time and like a very kind of down like you, you didn't you went to a movie and you didn't come out going yay yeah, that was great nah, you know woo it was more like everything was shit yeah. when he left the theatre you know back in the 70s not so bad yeah. right but he also wrote Three Days of the Condor oh yeah wow Solid. great great yeah, yeah. espionage spy movie uh, he did. He wrote the King Kong remake with uh, Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange. Huh. Yeah, which was good. Yeah. Although Kong looked like a dude in a monkey suit. Right. And uh, he also wrote Never Say Never Again, which wow. was the Sean Connery... Um, James Bond James spinoff, like not yeah. remake of yeah, not Yeah, the, the kind of the not um, uh, supported uh, James Bond spinoff that he wasn't supposed to make without Albert Crubby Broccoli. No, you know, there was no, um, uh, there was no kind of a, uh, uh, permission given to make this movie, but he made it anyway. And essentially, it was that was just a remake of Thunderball. Thunderball, too, yeah. It's weird. Um, but, all, like, you know, that's kind of, you know, strange. Oh, oh he also, or Lorenzo Sample also wrote Papillon. Wow. Yeah. Holy buckets. I know. I mean. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. So he wrote Papillon, he wrote Paradox View, he wrote Three Days of the Condor, and he wrote Flesh Gordon. Okay. What the fuck? 
I mean. So the man responsible for writing the line, flying blind on a rocket cycle, <laughs> is the same guy that wrote Papillon. Right. Wow. Um. <laughs> Budget was like $20 million and it made like 27 So I made a little bit of money. Okay. But most of that was made in, the, in Britain and the UK. It was an absolute flop over here in the States. Um, now, we had people in like Sam Jones as Flash. Um, if you haven't seen Ted, the Seth MacFarlane film about Mark Wahlberg, you should see that because you'll, Sam Jones is in that film. And, and they allude to that through Flash Gordon. That's their favorite film. So you need to watch Ted because okay. Sam Jones is in it. Right. Um, he never really did that. In, no, he won the um, first Razzie. He did really. That was yeah. a, he, he that won the first. Yeah, yeah. For did like he, worst actor. Did he pick it up? I, I don't that I don't know. I bet he didn't. I would. I told you would. Yeah. Hell yeah. But I bet he didn't. Yeah. Um, but Sam Jones, yeah, he was Flash, and he did a great job as Flash. I mean, he was, you know. Oh yeah. No, he was fine. I mean. Um, I think he he ended up fucking the franchise though. Um, but anyway, but uh, we'll get to that. Okay. Um. Kurt Russell was offered the part and he considered it and then turned it down because he didn't think that Flash had enough character. And then also Arnold Schwarzenegger auditioned for the role too and didn't get it because the Austrian accent at the time, I guess, was probably <laughs> fairly thick because this is an 80. Oh, you know? man. He didn't make Terminator until like 85. Right. Um, but yeah, Sam Jones got, got the bit. But Well, uh, you know, the whole thing about Flash is even in the Queen song, they say he's just a man. You know, just a man with a man's courage. <laughs> I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger really encapsulated that at the time. No, he's, he's just like a man. A, he's just a giant Superman. fucking muscles. Yeah. And yeah, no, nope, just a man with um, a man's courage. But uh, Max von Sydow was in it too as Ming, um, who was then reunited with uh, Lorenzo Stample because he was in Three Days of the Condor too right. as the kind of super hitman. So that was cool to see. Um, I guess um, Dino De Lanteris, who was the producer who owned the rights of the film. Uh, he wanted to get Fellaini, the Italian director, to make oh, the film. Wow. Or, yeah, I don't know. Well, didn't he also, he also directed Conan too, didn't he? Or produced it. Conan uh, the Barbarian. I'm pretty sure it was Dino De Yeah, yeah, Dino De has done some great yeah. stuff. But um, we had Timothy Dalton, as you said, as Baron. And then we had the amazing Brian Blessed as oh, Voltan. Oh, man. Who uttered that line, that kind of pop culture-esque line that's lived on from the film, which was, Gordon's you know, everyone remembers Brian Blessed. There's a great uh, Brian Blessed alarm clock app out there, which I, gar- I I would say everyone should download if you want someone shouting, Strumpet, get up, in your ear every morning. So it's all like Shakespearean, right? Like that's yeah, the thing. it's all Shakespearean oh, stuff. See, they in- totally missed the like, do you want to sleep forever? I mean, it just... <laughs> right, but Brian Blessed also... In that film, as um, uh, he was Voltan in that film, right. he uh, he said the line, "Who wants to live forever?" You know, and then Queen, of course, who, which was one of the stars of the film, was oh, the soundtrack. Absolutely, it's a brilliant, yeah. brilliant been, like, soundtrack. Should have been like top build, yeah. um, and one of the greatest soundtracks ever, I think, in movie history. Um, they went on and did uh, the only other soundtrack they did was Highlander, and of course, in that film, there was that brilliant, you know, song piece yeah, of music, song "Who was. Wants to Live Forever." So. Uh, they've said that it got pulled from Flash Gordon. They were on, you know, like, oh, that's great. That's a great line, you know, who wants to live forever? And that's, and they ended up writing that particular song for Highlander, Highlander. which is cool. Yeah. And we had Topol as Dr. Zarkov. And, and Topol was in Filler on the Roof. I mean, he's a very, you know, legendary, yeah. you know, um, uh, Israeli 
uh, actor. Um, so they had some really decent people in this movie, you know. Like Max von Sydow, I think, was an Oscar winner, an Oscar nominee at the time, or had been. But um, Sam Jones, back to Flash, <laughs> Sam Jones. Um, I didn't realize this, but his dialogue is pretty much entirely dubbed from the film. Yeah, I'd heard that too. Which ties into what we were saying earlier on about, uh, you know, when we were talking about getting dubbed. We had, like, David Prowse, and then we had... Um, um, Darth Maul, what's his name? Um, Ray Parker. Ray Park, yeah. um, also getting dubbed. Well, Sam Jones got dubbed in this film too, in Flash. And the reason why wasn't because they necessarily thought his voice was fucked up. It was because he had, he was such a, I guess in post and stuff, he became such a dick and he got into a huge row with Dean on a terrorist and the director of the movie that he walked off set towards the end, or walked off post. Right. So, and you know, when you make movies, they essentially, they essentially have to redub everybody's voices yeah. in. Sure. So they couldn't, they didn't have him anymore. He'd walked off that. So he'd walked off post. So they had to put a, and no one's ever found out who that person who was. Who the voice was. Just as a professional actor. It did always seem, I remember it like seemed off a little bit. Yeah. There was just something that was. I didn't pick up on that until I was looking into this film recently. So, which was also one of the reasons why they didn't make any sequels. Hmm. Because Sam Jones, there was a wedge there. So instead of making Flash Gordon sequels, he just went to making Baywatch and, you know, guest stars on you know poor yeah he cop had shows a, uh, in the 80s and 90s I don't remember the name of the show but shortly after flash in the, in the mid 80s he had a, a very very short lived tv show where he was is like in the future in like some apocalyptic world and he's driving like a tractor trailer <laughs> I mean, John Deere the future uh, something like that but yeah it didn't uh, it, it, it didn't take off it didn't, wasn't very good but um like it was a huge smash in the US as there but or no, not a huge smash in the U.S., but it was in U.K. and Ireland. I mean, so when I grew up, it was it was the film that you went to see. Um, there was one other thing about this film, and I, everyone knows the story of Flash Gordon. I mean, I'm not going to go into like exactly what happened in it. I mean, it was basically, you know, Ming the Merciless is this, you know, galaxy tyrant, and um, just discovers Earth and starts messing with it, and right. then these guys, uh, football player and his friends, travel to Mo- to Mongo, where Ming's from, and and then they fight against Ming and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They right. didn't leave it open for a sequel because if you remember at the end, Flash and Ming had a sword fight. Right. And then, you know, Ming died. Uh, he was secured by the ship, by the by the prow of the ship, right? The war rocket Ajax. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. The bring back his body. Uh, anyway, um, but at the end you saw a hand reaching for his ring and then you hear his laugh, you know. Right. So it was all built up to have um, to have a sequel, but it never happened. But um, did you know that George Lucas originally had wanted to make Flash Gordon into a movie? I mean, we all know he was affected by the serials. The serials, for sure. Which was Buster Crab, because that's essentially what Indiana Jones was. It was like an old-style serial. But he'd wanted to make this movie, and then he found out that Dino De Lantaris had the rights to it. So then instead he wrote Star Wars and made that. Oh, wow. So we have um, Flash Gordon to thank for Star Wars. You know, because he wanted to make it like in the seventies, and he found out he couldn't. So he said, "Well, fuck it, I'll just ma- I'll just write my own movie," and that's what he, that's when he wrote Star Wars. Wow, that's like seven degrees of you know the movie itself influenced the you know art direction or the direction that Edgar Wright did yeah. in his movies, but then inadvertently created you know gave George yeah. Lucas to make Star Wars, which yeah. was a strong influence for Simon Pegg. It's the butterfly I mean, effect. Dude. Wow, it's like Cornetto, like yeah, oh, it's, it's the butterfly effect. Um, in the film too, though, in a very Smaller role, the role of Fico, the Baron's henchman, was Richard O'Brien. You know who he is? I 
don't think I do. Well, if you remember, if you watch the film, he was bald guy, right. yep. bald skinny guy. Um, in um, what was the name of the world that Baron ruled over? Arborea. Sure. Um, well, Richard O'Brien uh, also wrote the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then was Riff Raff in the film version. Like, he's Riff Raff. Oh, in yeah. In Rocky Horror Picture okay. Show. Yeah, sure. Same guy. Yeah. But he wrote Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wow. Yeah. That musical that became a film, that became a phenomenon, that became like what it is today. Oh, yeah. I'm All telling you, there's only Richard 75 O'Brien. people in the world. You realize that, right? <laughs> it's bizarre. There's only 75 people. Bizarre. So next time you watch Flash Gordon, look out for Richard O'Brien, which is kind of the... And I remember watching it when I was a kid going, oh, isn't that that Richard O'Brien cat? Or someone pointed out to me and uh, I'm like, oh, that's crazy. You know, and now he's, you know, he's a huge thing. I mean, because Rocky is such a huge right. thing. Right, absolutely. Um, but that's Flash Gordon for me. Um, like I said, I didn't get to see it. I saw it when I was maybe like five or six years older when it first came out. Did Did you ever, when you were a kid, like, I don't know, when I was a kid, we'd, we'd play like in the woods a lot. And every now and then we'd come across an old tree stump. <laughs> and stick your and you'd hand like in there. dare each other to put your hand in the stump. Yeah. And it was the most terrifying thing ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, that was the kind of uh, the manhood test um, that they did in, in Flash Gordon on Arborea. Or, or I think it was the place that Byron I think that's not, that sounds right. Yeah. 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 S- similar to that anyway. But a uh, great film because it was so cheesy and awful. But it spawned a lot of cool stuff for us. And it made complete sense for us to talk about this film when we talked about the Cornell trilogy and Peg, Frost, and Wright. So that's Flash Gordon. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to go watch that movie again. I mean, I probably watched it within the past two years, but I've got to go find it somewhere and watch it again just because it's so... Oh, man. That... It's like a Technicolor nightmare, man. It's just... (laughs) Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Yeah, and thank you to Boulevard Brewing Company for hosting us again and providing us with some yummy, delicious Casey Pills. We appreciate it. And um, don't forget to follow us on HBase Invaders on Twitter and like our Facebook page, please. And watch Flash Gordon. It's great. And we'll play you out with some Flash Gordon music. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, what should we listen to? are your headspace invaders executive produced by wallace wilson our theme song was composed by chris chameka be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at h space invaders and please be sure to give us a like thumbs up or five star rating on your preferred pod listening device headspace invaders is a proud member of the thanks wallace productions and as david would say good luck